you will know that the book of Acts is often referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, but a much more accurate title would actually be the Acts of Jesus through his Holy Spirit, because everything that's recorded in the book of Acts is inspired, guided, directed, and made possible by the Holy Spirit. And today we celebrate the day of Pentecost, when God's Spirit was poured out on his church. Last week we looked at what happened and the effect it had on the life of the church in terms of the way that the believers interacted with one another. And this week we're looking at what happened and uh, the, the effect in terms of the way that the church interacts with the world. But first, we're going to go right back to the beginning, to Genesis, uh, Genesis 3, verse 8. It says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What we understand from this, that it was always God's intention to inhabit the same space as human beings. God intended to be present in this world. Heaven and earth were meant to overlap and interlock. Now we know that human sin and rebellion against God caused alienation, but this was never how it was meant to be. We don't worship the God of the dais, the God who's just uh, set everything in motion and then stood back to let everything run its course. We worship a God who wants to be intimately involved with his creation and manifestly present in our world. And we didn't give enough time last week to the significance of the temple because this is the place where God's presence dwelt within and among his people. For Jews, the temple was a place where heaven and earth converged on the same spot. And what we see in the Gospels and in the book of Acts is a tale of two temples. You know that Jesus was crucified because he denounced the temple. When he drove out the money changers and drove out all the livestock, uh, he was calling time on the temple. This would no longer be the place where God's presence dwelt. I think you can see why uh, this would have caused offense. The temple was right at the heart of the nation's uh, cultural, spiritual, and civic life. To call time on the temple would be uh, like calling time on capitalism in our day. People would be terrified of the alternative. Jesus said, destroy the temple and I will raise it again in three days. What did he mean by that? Well, he meant that his body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Crucify him, and he'll be raised to new life in three days. Well, on the day of Pentecost, we see all the believers becoming temples of the Holy Spirit. God himself came to dwell within each one of them by his Spirit. The church of Christ became the new temple, God's new dwelling place. Have you ever heard the expression, my body is a temple? Uh, perhaps that makes you think of some strange Eastern religion uh, that requires all its adherents to be vegans and to uh, spend hours on end meditating in an advanced yoga position. That's the kind of uh, perception we have, I think. But my body is a temple is actually a very Christian thing to say. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples 
of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. So we have these two temples. We have the old temple, which is a a physical building in Jerusalem. And we have the new temple made up of living stones, made up of all those who know and love Jesus and are filled with his Holy Spirit. But both temples have to do with God's presence in the world. You remember how on the day of Pentecost they heard a sound like the blowing of a violent wind and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Well, that is very similar to the way that God's presence was experienced in the Old Testament. When Israel wandered in the wilderness, they were guided by a column of cloud during the day and by a column of fire at night. When King Solomon dedicated the temple, fire came down from heaven. The temple was dedicated, fire comes down. The disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, fire comes down. It's as if this new temple is being dedicated and the fire represents God's presence with his people. But more important than that is the intended function of the Jerusalem temple and the function of the new temple, God's people. The temple was always supposed to be the place from which God's love and healing presence would go out into the world. But the whole temple system had become corrupt. Care for the poor was supposed to emanate from the temple. But that wasn't happening. The opposite was happening. The poor were getting ripped off. That's why Jesus got so angry. The whole system was befouled by human greed and sin. But in this new temple, in this new temple of the Holy Spirit, things are to be different. We saw last week, didn't we, that the believers sold their possessions and they gave to anyone who was in need. And last week, we focused on the care that the believers took of one another. But that same care is to extend out into the world. The old temple system wasn't doing very much to care for the poor, but Christians were. The new temple of Jesus' community was fulfilling the purpose that God had always intended for the Jerusalem temple. This community of Jesus' followers is the place where heaven and earth meet, where people experience God's generosity and healing presence. I said is, not was, because that is still what we are called to be today, the place where heaven and earth meet. Now, before we talk about the healing of this lame beggar, I I just want to emphasize the level of friction that existed between the Jerusalem temple and the new temple of Jesus' followers. We read in chapter 2 that the believers met daily in the temple courts. They weren't just hiding away, being the new temple somewhere else, out of sight. They were in full view. In fact, ironically, they were taking God's presence into the temple. And the people who witnessed this must have seen something incredibly authentic because we read that the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Begs the question, doesn't it? If we were to hold daily services in the middle of Orion Shopping Center, would people come to faith daily? Well, I think quite possibly they would, and it goes to show the importance of being out there in the community. As Christians, we're not supposed to lock ourselves in church buildings and stare at candles. We're meant to be out there in the world. 
representing Jesus, pointing people to his kingdom and being the place where heaven and earth meet. But imagine the friction, the church setting itself up in the porch of the temple. To borrow an analogy from N.T. Wright, imagine you're in charge of a huge opera house or theater, and day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you put on this great uh, performance, this great show. Uh, And then after a while, this uh, little band of musicians keep turning up and playing right outside the front door. And people seem to rather like this little band, so that over time, uh, less people are coming to your show and more people are gathering around uh, this little band of musicians. So that in the end, it's this little band of musicians who are getting all the reviews from the media and all the focus and all the intention instead of your great theatre. How would that make you feel? The religious authorities were being upstaged by the followers of the very person that they had crucified. The church was announcing Jesus as Messiah right under the noses of the temple authorities. I think we can see how this situation would become rather tense. But don't we admire their boldness? They were risking their lives and they knew it but they continued unperturbed. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was hauled up on a charge of speaking out against the temple, and we know that he was stoned to death by the authorities. Here in Australia, we don't risk our lives for the sake of Christ, not really. But our witness should be bold, visible, and authentic. So now we come to this healing. I said earlier that God's love and healing power was meant to go out from the temple, and so it would. It would go out from the new temple, uh, the spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ. But you know, it's no coincidence that the first healing miracle in the book of Acts, the first uh, healing miracle of the church, no less, takes place in the Jerusalem temple. What do you think that tells us? I mean, this man who had been lame his whole life had been carried to the temple every day to to beg from those who were going inside. He'd not been healed, though. His contact with the temple had made no difference to his condition, either physically or spiritually. He went there every day, and nothing happened. It was through his contact with the new temple that he was healed. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked directly at him and said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And Peter reached out his hand and helped him up. And instantly, this guy's feet and ankles became strong. And he went with Peter, walking and jumping and praising God. It's a wonderful fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. We heard it earlier, that part where it says, then will the lame leap like a deer. Must have been quite a spectacle. This man who had never walked, testing out his new feet and ankles. But could anything make it clearer that God's presence was now with the new temple and not the old? But we need to be clear, Peter did not heal the blind beggar. God did through the power of the Holy Spirit. But that same Holy Spirit that lives in Peter lives also in us. And that means that every Christian has enormous potential to represent Jesus in very real and powerful ways. But I think often we don't quite 
dare to believe that's true. Imagine, and you need quite a good imagination for this, but imagine that Usain Bolt transferred his sprinting ability to you right before he retired. And you find yourselves in the starting blocks of the 100 meters final at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. But at that moment, all these doubts start to flood in very quickly. And so when the starting pistol is fired, all the sprinters race off, but you just sort of stand up and walk off the track. Don't even try. Well, that is an image of the Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit, but makes no attempt to exercise the gifts of the Spirit. My mum used to say, you don't know what you can do until you try. And it's equally true, you don't know what the Holy Spirit can do through you until you try. Does that mean that we can all go around praying for people in wheelchairs and they're all going to leap up and start running around? Not necessarily. But I think it means that it can happen. We are acutely aware that not every prayer for physical healing results in the immediate healing of the person being prayed for. Uh, Of course, everybody who enters the new creation will be healed. There'll be no physical disorders when Jesus returns. So in that sense, those prayers for healing are answered, all of them, just not yet. But Jesus also gives us the power to heal in the present. But if we don't pray for anyone to be healed, we're not going to see any physical healings. The other day I saw what uh, seemed to be a very credible testimony of a Christian woman who was wheelchair-bound because of a degenerative disease. And she explained how she and her husband were in a coffee shop and they were approached by a young woman who said, I've been learning to hear the voice of God and I believe uh, that he might be asking me to pray for you. Would that be okay? And the woman in the wheelchair said, I'd love you to pray for me. Uh, So she prayed for, and uh, one of her legs went into spasm, but nothing else really happened there and then. It was later on that day when she and her husband were driving along, and both her legs went into spasm. So they stopped the car, and uh, she got out to see if she could walk, and she found that she could. Uh, Next thing, she's running across the parking lot, and her husband is filming this, on, on his phone. And when she turns and runs back towards the car, he, he, he loses it. He drops the phone and he breaks down in sobs of tears. Uh, you can't see that, but you can hear it, obviously. These things can and do happen. And when they do, it is a signpost pointing forward to the new creation. That is God's eternal kingdom. Of course, there are those who say that these things only happened uh, during the time of the apostles. You know, Jesus sent out the 12, he sent out the 72, and he gave them power and authority to cast out uh, evil spirits, to heal the sick. Uh, But that was just a one-off, they say. But in John 14, verse 12, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Jesus didn't say, whoever believes in me for the next 50 years or so will do the works that I've been doing, and after that, it's all just going to die out. He simply says, whoever believes in me will do these works. Doesn't that include us? I recently heard a sermon from a well-known preacher in the US who said, these miracles were never considered a normal part of church life. 
Uh, but I'd want to point that preacher to uh, James 5, 14 to 15. It says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. So I think we can be confident that the Holy Spirit heals today, uh, just as was the case at the very conception of the church. One of the things I love about this account is that Peter gives the lame beggar something that he's not expecting or even asking for. The lame beggar is asking for money. He wants to try and scrape together a living. Uh, Peter says to him, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The crippled beggar thought he needed money, and he did. But he needed Jesus way more. And he encountered him through the miraculous healing of his feet and ankles. After which he was walking and jumping and praising God. His life was transformed. His relationship with God was transformed. God fills us with his Holy Spirit so that uh, Jesus can be present in the world through his church. God wants to change and transform people's lives. And he wants to use us by his spirit to do that. It is very exciting. But physical healing is just one aspect of God's love and healing presence going out into the world. Last week we saw that love is not just something we feel, it's something that we do. And the church should express God's love for the world in a myriad of different ways. Christians should be at the forefront of helping people in practical ways, helping to relieve the suffering of others. But our responsibility to represent Christ in the world doesn't stop there. Like the crippled beggar who doesn't know uh, uh, necessarily... Well, he, he, he doesn't know what he needs. And the world doesn't know what it needs, or at least it doesn't know what's available. So the drug addict or the alcoholic may settle for a rehabilitation program. The homeless person may settle for a night shelter. The elderly person who's living alone may settle for visits. And the family that's struggling to make ends meet may settle for a food bank. And the church should be involved in all of those things. Absolutely it should. But the church has way more to offer. Our love in action must be accompanied by proclamation of the gospel. Otherwise, we risk giving the world what it thinks it needs and nothing more. Today, we only read the first 11 verses of Acts 3. The rest of the chapter focuses on Peter's address to this astonished crowd. And Peter is hard-hitting with his message. He lays the blame of Jesus' crucifixion at the feet of the crowd. And he calls them to repentance. But then he gives them hope by showing that God is going to renew creation through Jesus Christ, just as the prophets foretold. But if Jesus is present in the world through the church... Isn't this exactly what we'd expect? I mean, Peter is representing the church. He's representing Jesus in that moment. Just think about what Jesus did. He loved people. He healed the sick. He told people to repent and believe in him. And he taught 
about the kingdom of God. You see, in the book of Acts, we see a continuation of Jesus' mission to the world. The acts of Jesus through his Holy Spirit. And nothing's changed. Spirit-filled believers of Jesus are called to do the same thing today. As a body, as a church, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, we are to love the world. We are to heal the sick. Not just in terms of miraculous physical healing, though that too, but also in the way that we compassionately attend to broken lives and broken people. And of course, along with all that, we are to call people to repent and to put their faith in Jesus. Because whether it realizes it or not, that is ultimately what the world needs more than anything else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to continue Jesus' mission in the world. Inspire us to love one another as you have loved us. Embolden us to be an effective witness through our words and actions. Open our eyes to what you are wanting to do in and through us. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.